This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi there. My name is Chris. <laughs> and my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 355, recorded Monday, December the 11th, 2017. <laughs> How you was, doing, Chris? I'm doing good. Daydreaming there for a second. I had the Beauty and the Beast theme running through my mind. Oh, well, that happens every now and again. <laughs> it does. It does. I uh, saw the performance this evening with the kids. It was fantastic. Really, really good. fun time. And good, every- good, good. No, you, you, you mentioned earlier that nobody threw up on stage, so that's good. Nobody threw up, nobody forgot all their lines and ran off crying, and uh, everything went really, really well, and it was spectacular. Good. Yeah. All right, well, we could we could just recap that if you want, but I, I don't think anyone would want to listen to that, so... I didn't see it, is the problem. Oh, that would be a problem, yeah, you're right. Well, we won't do that. What we will do is talk about the mid-season finale of The Walking Dead, Season 8, Episode 8. Uh, but before that... I want to play an entry in our season eight record your favorite scene contest. So just in case this is the first time you are tuning in, one of the things we do around here is ask our listeners to participate once in a while. And by participate, I mean, pick a scene from The Walking Dead, any season, any episode that you love or it has a special place in your heart and uh, record it. Speak into your phone, speak into your your computer microphone, your laptop, book time in a professional recording studio and do it there. I mean, that's probably not necessary, but, you know, I'll leave that up to you. Uh, and then and then record the scene with your friends, your family, or by yourself. You can do all the parts, whatever you want, and fire it into us uh, at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. And then at the end of the season, we collect them all. We listen to them all. Jason and I debate furiously. We pick a winner. Argue, slap. We usually get into a slap fight of some kind. <laughs> some kind of slap fight, you know, no uh, shin kicking because that's dirty, but, yeah. uh, you know, face slapping is fine. And ultimately we come to a agreement and a decision on who the winner is and you get yourself a big fancy prize pack. Fancy. And there's some good stuff in there, uh, including some, some uh, hardcover Walking Dead books, uh, Walking Dead or Talking Dead t-shirts and other stuff that we're going to be adding and uh, filling it out as the season goes on. And you recently added a D&D book as well. Yeah, the Dun- Dungeon Master's Guide. Not a Sarah Rack on the cover. There you go. Not directly Walking Dead related, but... Yet. Of, <laughs> yet. And <laughs> a, a potentially of interest to all kinds of people. So uh, good stuff in there. And to whet your appetite a little bit, I am going to play an entry in the contest right now. This comes from Reese DeKing on the internet. Your friend Rick is an arsehole. You're, you're an asshole. <laughs> yeah, I am. But he's going to get people killed. By you? See, I kill the widow's husband. And... The ginger. But I don't get them killed. That was your boy Rick. (laughs) Big difference, mate. You know, I saw you stop for that Gregory idiot. What plum? Why'd you do that? You were there. You saw the whole thing. 
You heard his little speech. Why would you save that bearded prick? What I fear is a fruitless death. <laughs> Jesus Christ, you gotta be kidding me. He'd split on your creepy little ass. The point of your life would be saving that dickhead. That wouldn't be it. There would have to be a reason for why I did what I did. I'm sure of it. Maybe this is the reason. What? I'm here to take your confession. Thank you, Reese. And this is one of the few times Jason and I did not listen to the entry before I played it. So really, that was uh, that was cold for you. That was cold for me. I mean, I listened to the first twenty seconds to make sure not twenty seconds, sorry, two seconds to make sure the sort of audio quality was okay. Uh, although right. audio quality is not a does not factor in our decision making process as long as it's you know we can make out what's going on. Uh, but no, I didn't listen to that one ahead of time, which is unusual. So thank you, Reese. That was great. That was obviously. Negan and Father Gabe in the trailer from earlier this season. With uh, different accents than, uh, than the original. Yeah, that's right. But it was right. very, very good. I really enjoyed that. Different accents. And that's one of the things you can do. Put your own spin on things. Uh, you know, make it, make it your own. That's one of the things we might consider when we're listening to these. And of course, Reese had some background sound effects in there, zombies and so on. Again, doesn't really... Uh, factor in too much but uh, all everything everything plays a little part so don't feel like you have to do sound effects or anything like that the most important thing is is you're recording and, and you're doing uh whatever you want to do so um that's our season eight record your favorite scene contest please send your entries to talking dead podcast at gmail.com okay jason let's us dive into the mid-season finale and this is, as I said, season eight, episode eight. We're going to recap the whole thing right now. It's a 90 minute episode, mm -hmm. at least including it, commercial breaks. That's true. So uh, it's just about an hour of actual footage time. Yeah. Uh, but that's, you know, almost that's 15 minutes or more uh, or more longer than a usual episode. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Tis. And uh, we're going to play our first title read right here. Here we go. Oh, cool. Chris, Jason. Do podcast. Do now. How it's got to be. Now doing. And now doing. Yeah. <laughs> that was Rennie as Jadis, I think, asking us yeah. to do podcast now. How it's got to be. You got it. <laughs> All right. Thanks. We'll play another title read as the uh, uh, recap goes on. So here we are. Jason cold open. We are with Rick again and he is staring at the sanctuary looking at wondering what happened. Where did everybody go? And he's on a radio checking for Northwest and South to report, but nobody responds. Now he's still trying to radio the other snipers. Is that who you think Northwest South is? Yeah. And I assume that he's at the East station. Right. And the East station is where he found the dude hanging from the ladder, having yeah. been eaten by zombies. Makes sense. Yes. Yes. Uh, we quickly cut to Rick and Carl walking on the highway talking about meeting Sadiq. So this is kind of a flashback to the first episode of season eight. And they're on their way back after meeting Sadiq after, on their gas station run, right? Mm, yep. They are talking and Carl says that hoping the guy makes it through isn't enough. If you care about something, you have to do something. So he's kind of, 
given his dad a little bit of a talking to about what they should be doing when they meet new people, not just scare them away and hope they're okay. And uh, as they walk and talk, we see Rick arrive at the sanctuary with Jadis and the scavengers. So we're kind of jumping around in time a little bit here. Uh, and they find the results of Daryl's garbage truck plan, of course, and they're suddenly shot at from the windows. Yeah. So we do see the, uh, the furrows of zombies, uh, in this shot. So, and they're, uh, they're still left. So that's obviously how they got out was through that, that gap, that hole. Yeah. And, um, there's like ar- zombie arms moving around and stuff. So there's a lot of them still, you know, for lack of a better word, alive in those piles. Yep. Uh, they just sort of did what they needed to do and then piled them up to make a sort of a roadway out of the place. Well, I think that the, whatever their like vehicle they were driving was plowing them out of the way. Like that's what would happen to snow if mm-hmm. you snow if a snow plow just plowed a st- straight through a parking lot, is there would be two big furrows of snow along the way. Right. right? So they have a zombie plow of some kind. They have, yeah, which is great because. That's what you need in the zombie apocalypse because they get, you know, they get brains and crap stuck in the grill and then the car overheats and yeah, what you need is a snowplow to get all that crap out of the way, like a cow catcher on the, on the front of a train. Yeah. It's just, you know, get rid of it. You don't want it under the wheels or anything like that. You want it spread out to the side. So, uh, that's what you need. <laughs> Can I ask you a quick question? I've always wondered yeah. something about cow catchers. Yeah. Does the cow survive the impact with the cow catcher? Depends on how fast the train is going, I assume. I think so. A full speed train cow probably doesn't survive, right? But if, but if the train's barely moving, it just kind of picks the cow up and slides it off to the side, right? Well, the cow probably, it's like punching a cow. Like it would be like, uh. <laughs> Which I do all the time. Yeah. Well, you, you can punch cows, right? Of course. Or you can hit, hit them with the hammer. I mean, we're, they're not that very smart. It'd be like, hey, Jason, what's the hammer for? We're Canadian, man. We've all spent yeah. time on cow farms and punched yeah. the odd cow. Right. Yeah, it's like, I, I would assume it's being punched by the Hulk. It depends on how mad, he's, mad he is at the time, right? If he's not very mad, it's just Bruce Banner giving you a slap in the face. But if he's like really pissed off and he punches you, uh, you're pretty much going to be uh, a meat shake of some kind. Right, or, afterwards. or punched into orbit. He can do that too. Yeah, or punched, yeah, punched into orbit. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it depends on how fast the train is going, I would assume. Okay, it makes sense to me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, I hope cows don't get hit by trains too often. Or people don't get punched by the Hulk very often either. So that's, that would be bad. Well, not good people, bad guys for sure. Well. And occasionally he, Thor. So anyways. Uh, and, and Iron Man. Iron Man got it once, didn't he? Oh yeah, he probably did. I'm sure he did. Well, he has a Hulkbuster armor specifically, right? So Specifically for that. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's move on. So uh, they arrive there and they see the results, as I said, of Daryl's garbage truck plan and they're shot at. Now the scavengers, they don't hang around. They just, they just get the hell out of there. They just flee. Uh, Rick has taken cover. They don't flee. They're running towards the building. Wait, no, they are fleeing. They're fleeing. They're running away. Jadis oh, says not like chicken. picture. So, Bastards. so the pictures that, uh, Rick showed her are no longer good. So now they think Rick lied to them and they run off. They're just like, we're out of here. Forget this. Uh, so Rick takes cover and then Carol and Jerry show up out of nowhere in an SUV to pick up Rick and, um, Rick realizes, you know, the saint, the saviors all got out and that they're going to attack them back or hit them back as he says. Uh, now Carol and his, and, um, Jerry showing up there, that's just them coming back to meet Rick as the plan was right. And, uh, it's just sort of lucky coincidence that they got there just in time to save him. I would assume so. 
I mean, well, they, they didn't. What else would it be? Right. They didn't really know he was going there other than because that was the plan. So I guess they show up, but it's good. They're in an SUV. And when you're in an SUV, you tend to have perfect situational awareness of what's going on around you. I assume. <laughs> you know, I've been driving for a long time and I'm not so sure anybody except me and maybe you have perfect situational awareness on the road. <laughs> well, I, I think it's just Archer. Uh, you've, you've not watched the Archer series. I have not you? watched Archer. Yeah. That's one of Archer's powers is that he has perfect situational awareness. No matter what happens, no matter how drunk he is, he knows exactly how many shots have been fired by everybody, where everybody is at all times. That's a good power to have. Yeah. So it's, he has what he has. He has perfect situational awareness. Cool. Well, anyways. Uh, I assume Carol had that in the van, in the, sorry, in the uh, SUV. Uh, maybe. That's why she showed up just at the right time. Or maybe Jerry has it. Like Jerry can do anything. All right, let's give it, let's attribute it to Jerry. Sure, sounds good. We cut back to Carl and Rick. Carl says that, you know, Rick will live, but why are they fighting the saviors? Is it just basically so things aren't the way they want to do things? Or is it so we can all work together for something more than just killing people? Uh, You know, Carl's wondering what, what's this all for? Like, why are we doing this? And uh, he questions whether they'll just end up killing them all or do the harder thing. And the right thing, he thinks, which is to find a better way forward. Um, And uh, then we cut into another sort of face montage that we saw earlier in the season as well. We go through slow dissolves and dramatic music, and we see Rick, then Carl, Michonne, Carol, Ezekiel, Jerry, Maggie, and then finally Negan in the seat, you know, passenger seat of a truck, whistling, doing his typical uh, um, savior whistling. And we go to the opening credits. So what do you think about what Carl is saying here? Like, does he have a point that, you know what, maybe, maybe we should do the harder, but maybe the right thing and try to not just kill everyone and somehow move forward in another way? Well, it's, it's a tough question. It's, uh, do you live under, uh, the thumb of, uh, an unjust power, uh, in order to, uh, survive or do you fight against the, the power knowing full well that you're doing the right thing, but you might die. Well, uh, yeah, but I think Carl is saying that fighting against it, the way they're doing it, isn't necessarily the right thing because Rick's plan, although he says only one person has to die, he ends up killing a lot of extra people. Yeah, and not taking a shot at the one person that needs to die. Right, of course. At all. No, and that happens later in this episode too, I think, but... Uh, I think we'll get to that. But I, I, you know, I think Carl kind of has a point, especially when you and I, if you remember in a recent podcast, we're talking about how in some ways we are starting to see Negan's side of things a little bit. Remember that? Yeah. Yep. So maybe Carl is going that same way, starting to maybe not see Negan's side because, you know, we do have to believe that he is traumatized by what Negan has done, but I feel like he's getting equally traumatized by what his dad is doing. Yeah. You know? I think, I think Carl's slipping into proto Negan. He's just, uh, he's got the kernel of, uh, what the Negan ideal is and it's growing within him. Yeah, it could be. It could be. Anyways, that's what he's expressing, whether he, he kind of knows it or not, I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, I thought it was an interesting conversation and, you know, we jump around in time a little bit during this cold open. Uh, we come back from the opening credits and we're with Enid and Aaron. Uh, I believe this is the only time we see them in the episode, but they're on their little mission and 
uh, we find out that they're on their way to Oceanside, but first Aaron is talking about Eric and how they used to take trips like this looking for new people. And uh, Enid mentions going to Oceanside, and she hopes that they'll be open and willing to talk to them. Aaron thinks it's risky, uh, but they need to convince them to be a part of this. And uh, Enid thinks they should have brought some guns or really something to give them. And then after joking about being a better driver than Carl, which I enjoyed, that was yep. sort of the one kind of funny moment of this episode. She takes over and they make a detour to go check something out that maybe they can bring to Oceanside, which... You never go someplace without a gift. You bring a gift. Well, and that's what Aaron... wine, yeah. some flowers, uh, croissants, uh, you know... Butter tarts. Butter tarts oh, are always nice. God damn, I love butter tarts. And you're right, and that's what Aaron says. He's like, the social ni- niceties, we we have to keep those up, right? Yeah. So guns, bullets, silencers, something. Well, in it, you know, it, read the room and bring what you th- what you think your uh, your hosts will like the most. <laughs> yeah. That you can, know, a basket of silencers. Of course, a basket of silencers mixed in with posies, maybe. You know. Oh yeah, that'd be nice. Flowers, be baby's breath. Yeah, exactly. Flowers and ammunition. How do I know what that is? That's crazy. Well, I've heard the word. I'm not sure what it is exactly. I think you buy your flowers. You buy your wife flowers all the time, right? Uh, Not so much anymore, but yes. For a while there. No, the the problem is the cats. Right now, Uh, there is no place in the house you can put a vase of flowers that the cats can't get to and eat and die because those cats will die if they eat some of the flowers I buy. So it was a conscious choice by the two of us to not buy flowers all the time because the fucking cats will eat them. <laughs> we, the only place we could put flowers in this house where the cats wouldn't eat them is the downstairs bathroom. And how enjoyable is a nice basket of flowers or a nice vase full of flowers sitting in the goddamn bathroom with the door closed? Well, it depends if you're sitting in there with the door closed as well. Yeah. So <laughs> it was impractical. Maybe when the cats die, I'll start buying her flowers again. Well, I got an idea for you. Buy some flowers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to kill them. I, I still like the cats. I thought you were just they're getting up there in years. I thought you were just going to say uh, they knock them over. But yeah, I guess no, they, 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 they have some kind of suicide pact. Those two cats, they will eat whatever they can string flowers. They will, uh, they are tr- actively trying to kill themselves on a daily basis. Dumb cats. All right. Well, uh, anyways, they, Aaron and Enid go heading down a road towards the Roanoke Way Distillery. So I guess they're going to get some booze to bring, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, bottle of wine. That was the first thing on my list. Right, exactly. Or a distillery, bottle of whiskey or uh, rum a keg or of beer, something, you know? There you go. Don't forget a tap. The keg doesn't do you a whole lot of good without a tap. Nope, that's very true. We cut to Alexandria and Michonne comes to see Judith playing by the water and she says goodbye and that she'll bring back her, bring her daddy back. So they're going somewhere. She walks up and talks to Daryl and she says they're going back to the sanctuary to make them surrender. And I guess this is them basically getting ready to go and meet Rick, who we, you know, we already know that didn't go so well, but uh, she talks to Daryl and she also apologizes for not being able to help him. But he says, don't worry, it worked. You know, driving that garbage truck into the wall worked just fine. Yeah. <laughs> right? I took that as, fuck you. No, really? I know. I think Daryl <laughs> was saying, don't worry about it. Everything worked, and I understand why you didn't want to help. I'm a pessimist at heart, though. All right. Well, I, we'll see. Uh, Carl's in his house. He's sitting in a corner. He's writing a note to his dad. He's sitting alone. He kind of looks upset, and we... St- see that he still has Enid's just survive somehow paper. 
I believe that's one of Enid's. I don't know if he rewrote it or he's adopted that mantra from her, but in any case, it's just survived somehow. Uh, and he's sitting there in a room, sort of empty, sleeping bag on the floor. I guess this is where he's been living. The houses don't have beds, but... Yeah, uh, Negan took all the beds. Oh, right. He took all the beds and the mattresses. That's right. That's right. So this is a uh, sleeping bag where Carl's been living. Uh, we go outside and Rosita is there unloading a truck of stuff she brought back uh, on her way back from the sanctuary, I guess from that warehouse. Tara approaches and she tells her the plan worked, which is great. And Rosita agrees that they can finish things now and... Tara wants to take the stuff she's unloaded with them, so Rosita just loads her all up with a giant stack of crates, and they walk off. Yeah, I, I don't know. Just if it's just me, or do you think Tara could carry a lot more than? I just, it just looks to me like Tara's got uh, a little more muscle, bigger pipes than Rosita. I don't know, man. Yeah. Rosita's tough and strong. I think she could do it. I, yeah. It was just one of those things. It was sort of supposed to be a funny moment, right? It's like, can I help? Sure, carry everything. Yeah, well, Alana Masterson had a baby, right? So she's probably got all used to carrying a lot of stuff. You do carry babies right. around it, but uh, so did Rosita. Uh, Christian Serrato's had a baby in between seasons as well. Oh, well, everything goes out the window then. I don't know what's going on. I shouldn't open my mouth. Let's move on. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, oh, I lied. Of course, that wasn't the only time we see Enid and Aaron. We come back to them, they pull over, but now he's driving a big distillery truck and she's driving the car still. They get out and they decide here is as good a place as any. And I wasn't sure what they were doing. Like, are they, I think they just meant this was a good, a place, as good a place as any to stop for the night. Uh, I wasn't sure exactly what, maybe it's just one of those places that's near Oceanside and they were waiting for a patrol to, uh, come by them. Well, I do they think... Didn't want to, they didn't want to scare anybody by, you know, going to their borders. So maybe they were just hanging around outside in the hopes that somebody would stumble across them and not kill them. Right. Well, that's not exactly what happened. But I thought maybe they had some other plan or something. And they're like, okay, this is where we're going to do it. But I think it was just, we're going to stop for the night here. We're, we're close by. And then we'll approach them tomorrow morning, you know, in the daylight. So we don't frighten them because they used to just kill people on site. Remember Aaron mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Uh, so we cut to nighttime and Aaron is sitting in the front of the truck. He opens his eyes and he catches a glimpse of somebody sneaking around behind the truck. So him and Enid get out in the darkness and we follow Enid around the truck. Aaron goes the other way, but we hear somebody get knocked down and a female voice say, you shouldn't have come here. Enid springs out around the other side of the truck and shoots and it turns out that these are Oceanside people and that she's shot Cindy's grandmother, Natania, and killed her. That's terribly, terribly unfortunate. Oh, that That's is, like the worst thing that could have happened. It is. This is not how you want to show up at someone's house, even if you're bringing booze. Uh, and this is not the first thing you want to do. No, you, yeah. If you're, if you're going to somebody's house in peace and you bring them a bottle of wine, you don't shoot them when the door opens. <laughs> It's just right. rude. Now, to be fair, maybe Oceanside shouldn't have snuck up on them in the middle of the night. Because they hadn't really gotten to Oceanside yet. They were waiting to go the next morning. So, okay, firearms lesson for you. Don't shoot until you know what you're shooting at. Very it's true. It's wrong to just pull the trigger uh, if you're afraid. Oh, yeah. Figure out what you're shooting at long before you actually pull the trigger. 100% agree with that. But I also think... 
you know, it's a mistake to sneak up on someone in the night who you know will have guns and is potentially a little trigger happy. So I think there are mistakes made on both sides here. Uh, but I do think Enid is mostly to blame for shooting without looking or thinking. That's because Enid is actively trying to sabotage this uh, meeting. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so Maybe. She's doing a good job as a double double agent. She, or not even double agent. She's just an agent. Yeah, I don't know. If she's working for somebody else, I don't know who it is anymore. Yeah. <laughs> no, she's trying to sabotage this. She doesn't want this meeting to happen, so. Well. That's uh, why she wanted to go along. Yeah. She's a genius. She has to keep an eye on where he's going and figure out what he's doing and then sabotage it, obviously. And then how to fuck it up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we go back to Alexandria and Carl is opening the sewer. Michonne comes up and says she's been looking for him so they can head out. It's nighttime there now, right? And she asks him what he's doing and Carl says he's been helping somebody. So he's been keeping Sadiq down in the sewer, I guess, waiting for the right time to introduce him to Alexandria. Probably when his dad gets back. Or he has a, he's growing a pet alligator. Uh, or that, but I think it's Sadiq. <laughs> yeah, you're but probably right. It could you be know, both. Keep it simple, stupid. It's probably not a more complex answer, like he's got a dragon down there or something, but he's probably just Sadiq. Yeah, probably. Um, uh, now, they chat for a second, and suddenly there's a knock at the gate, and we all know that the only person that knocks on that gate is Mr. Baseball Bat Negan. And he's on a megaphone or a speaker of some kind. And he basically says that we killed your lookouts. This is already over. So the rest of you come out and line up outside your houses. How, how big do you think that speaker is? You think it's like two and a half inches, maybe three inches big? You well, think, what, what was it? That big? Like a little belt clip speaker with a microphone he had, right? Yeah. But, well, I'm just wondering, like, how big of a speaker does he, do you think, uh, uh, do you think Eugene rigged that up with his, the other ghetto blaster speaker that he had? It could have been. I mean, we don't really know, but I was thinking maximum four inches, probably. Yeah. Okay. So pretty small. Um, it, it sounded pretty loud and booming, though. Yeah. And you could hear it throughout Alexandria. <laughs> yeah. Very loud speaker. They have, I don't know, the speaker technology in this world is amazing. It's really, really incredible. Yeah. Well, Negan says this is already over. Come out and line up outside your houses. You can all apologize for what you did over to the, at the sanctuary. And he says the person with the lamest apology will be killed. Nice. That's another not so nice way to show up at somebody's house. Well, you gotta have, you know, incentive. Uh, yeah, you do. (laughs) Uh, and you know, after that he says he's going to kill Rick and then he gives them three minutes to open the gate. So we hear this while, you know, we stay with Michonne and Carl and they look panicked, of course. Uh, We see some shots of Rick driving a vehicle, Carol driving, Jerry is driving. They're all on their way back in different vehicles. And suddenly Jerry gets smashed, although we don't really see what happened. We just know he was in a car wreck of some kind. Now, this made me flash back to... The Comic-Con trailer, Jason, because if I'm not mistaken, in that trailer, there was a scene of a car accident, but I think you are inside the vehicle and you see the other vehicle come at it and smash it, if I'm not mistaken. And we've seen two car wrecks in the first half of this season. One, the speaker truck getting hit by the garbage truck. Yep. Two, um, Jerry getting smashed right now. I don't count the car chase from with Rick and Daryl because that. And you don't count the garbage truck smashing into the wall. I don't count that one either. No. Okay. 
But what I'm trying to say is the shot from the trailer, I don't believe we've seen in any of these episodes, and yet we've had a couple of car wrecks. So I have a feeling that shot in the trailer might have been a version of the Jerry car wreck we saw in this episode that got cut or wasn't used. Huh. So I'm, I'm just saying, interesting, unless there's going to be another car smash up in the second half of the season, but... Uh, well, they wouldn't know. film that far ahead, right? Like this was prior to any episode of this season being aired. Yeah, right? yeah, and no. They wouldn't have filmed something that far ahead. Oh, they do. They're, they're filming the back half of the season once they show the trailer at Comic-Con. Like, oh. they haven't finished yet, but they're already filming probably episode 9, 10, 11, maybe, something like that. Well, they're better at production schedules than I am, I can tell you that much. Yeah, yeah, they are pretty good. So, we go to a commercial break, though, and why don't we listen to this? Hola, Chris and Jason. Habla Victor de Yuma, Arizona. Title read, How It's Gotta Be, Como Tiene Que Ser. Thank you, Victor. So uh, nice. I, think, I think you did the title in, in two languages there, and that may be the first time we've had a foreign language title. Yeah, and now I'm learning Spanish, probably. Very good. <laughs> Thank you, Victor, for that. Uh, we come back to the episode, and we're with Ezekiel. He's in his throne room. He has a note from Jerry that says, Your Majesty, I had to bounce. We said we'd do it, and we can't flake. I want to be there when we win, and I want you to be there too, man. <laughs> I like yeah. that. That sounds just like Jerry. And he's just saying, I had to leave because we have to go meet Rick. Uh, now, Ezekiel hears some commotion outside. He goes for the front door, but he turns around when he hears people coming in, and he hides in the back of the theater. Yeah, why not uh, use the set to your advantage? Of course. He probably knows it better than anybody. Yeah. I figured he'd jump through a trap door in the stage because... Most stages have some kind of trap door, yeah? Yeah, of course. So uh, actors can disappear in a puff of smoke. Yeah. And then the, it, then there's a backstage. There's a whole backstage complex that uh, you can go up into the uh, into the rafters where all the uh, the sets and the curtains go. Mm-hmm. And sandbags and of stuff. Places. And then drop them down on bad guys like you see in movies all the time. Yeah. And the lights. You drop lights on people. Of course. Like little bombs. Of course. He just goes and hides, though. And yeah. uh, we see some saviors run in searching for him. We cut over to Maggie, though, and uh, Jesus and the hilltop people on their way back to the sanctuary. It's nighttime. Jesus asks if they'll surrender, if, he, if Maggie thinks they'll surrender, and she says no, but they will eventually. And the reason she doesn't expect it right away is uh, because she knows they wouldn't surrender that easily. So why would the saviors? Right. Um, now, from the back seat, there's a guy back there, Neil, and he says, damn straight. And it's one of his only lines in the episode, and I'm not so sure Neil's ever had a line before. Uh, no, they ought to, they gave him one today, though. They sure did. He needed one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't know his name. I'm not even sure I recognized the character, to be honest with you, but Neil's back there, and he agrees with Maggie. Uh, they continue driving, and they come to a log blocking the road, and they are forced to stop. So we've seen oh, this before. Oh. Yeah. The saviors like to put wood across the road to block their path and as soon as they stop maggie realizes something isn't right and uh, then they see vehicles coming up from behind them all the headlights turn on a savior truck pulls around in front of the whole uh hilltop colony or convoy the back opens and they drag jerry out who is not in great shape no it looks like he was uh t-boned mm -hmm. and then uh, taken out of the vehicle and put in the back of a truck 
and then brought here. And uh, I think he wants to just go to sleep. I think he's very sleepy at this point. You think so? I would be. God, that'd take a lot out of you. (laughs) Yes, it would. He probably needs some medical attention too. You know, he was in a car crash and then taken hostage and transported in the back of a truck. He does not look like he's in great condition, but. No, that's the kind of thing they can do while I'm asleep though, right? Like if I'm, you know, medical condition, just let me go to sleep. You do what you need to do. I'll be just over here sleeping. Yeah, just, you know, give me a minute. I'll be okay. But they throw him down on the ground and they also take out a big box and they put it on the hood of Maggie's car. And then everybody's favorite savior, Simon, gets out of the passenger side and says, hello. Hi. You know, speaking of social niceties, that man is one of the most socially unawkward people I've ever met. He gets out of the car. He doesn't just start yelling at them or shooting or barking orders. He says hello. He has this strange combination of being polite and menacing at the same time. And uh, Stephen Ogg is very good at that. He's extremely good at it. I I love watching him. I gotta say. Yeah. You know? I, yeah, I'd, I'd totally watch him in anything. Pretty I don't much. care what it is. As long as, you know, yeah. Anyway, I have... We're just, you know, reiterating my man crush on Stephen Ogg, but yeah, he's, I just, I think he's great at the polite menacing. You don't know what he's going to do, even though he's perfectly polite. That's right. No, he's amazing. He's, he's perfect for this role and I just love him. I could, I could watch him all day. Yeah. Uh, Now he says hello, but we go over to Carl and he is giving orders to Alexandrians and he's loading his backpack with smoke canisters. Some of the ones that uh, Rosita collected on her way back. He says they have to make it look like they escaped out the back and they'll go halfway to the quarry and cut the lights. Then they'll hit the saviors who follow them and from there get away on foot, which sounds like a pretty good plan. Uh, Well, it sounds like they told us the plan too, which always scares me. Well, you're absolutely right. They told us the plan. Uh, Now it kind of works, but they had some help. Yes, it does work. I mean, ultimately the plan works exactly as they told us. So I'm, I'm worried about my theory. I think it's not holding up. Well, let's, let's get to that when we, when we get to that part of the episode, but I think your, your, I think your theory is still okay. Uh, but before that we hear Negan on the megaphone again, and he says, you've got two minutes or the speaker or whatever the hell he's got. Uh, Tara wants to fight. Rosita says, no, Carl's right. We got to do this smartly. And Michonne says they can't just let let the saviors take Alexandria. But Carl says we can, and all we have to do is survive tonight. He also reminds her that this is his show, and they're going to do what he says. And they do. So Carl's in charge. He's the boss here. And before we cut away, we hear Negan say they have one minute now. So the countdown is on. That's fast. I mean, the first minute took a long time, but that second minute just went by really quickly. Well, minute two is always, is always faster. It's like, you know, beer number two goes down pretty fast. It's beer number three that takes a while. (laughs) I don't understand. (laughs) No, it's actually with, with that. The first beer goes down really quick and they just get slower after that. Oh, do they? Okay. It's my experience. Well, good. I mean, if they started to speed up, I'd worry about you. Oh yeah, that would be bad. All right. We go back to the kingdom and Gavin is there and he's addressing the crowd and he says that he doesn't want to be doing this, but they forced him. They forced his hand by attacking the sanctuary. He says that the kingdom now belongs to Negan and they will take everything they produce, leaving them with just enough food and supplies to survive. Everything else we get. He also says that all the able-bodied people will come to the sanctuary to repair the place while the saviors all live in the kingdom. 
So this is conflicting information. Like, how are they supposed to produce any anything if all the able-bodied people are doing something else? Like well, unabled body people are supposed to be producing something that uh, they will then keep and uh, only give them a little bit to survive. You know, it does seem to conflict a little bit. You're right. If I guess maybe he just means they're going to take everything they have right now, everything, including all of the able bodied people to come yeah. and work and repair the place. Anybody else at the kingdom will have bare minimum to stay alive. Yeah. It's like when the cops break into your house and say, freeze, get on the ground. It's like, well, pick one, buddy. I can't do both. <laughs> Maybe just freeze on the ground. Yeah, I, I don't know what to do. Do I freeze or do I get on the ground? Well, do I ask the question? Do I get shot for asking the question? I don't know. So anyway, it's confusing. If you're going to be uh, decisive and you're going to give people shit and tell them what to do, don't give them conflicting orders. Yeah, I didn't really think about that at the time, but you're right. He's kind of giving them conflicting information here, so... I think what he's just saying is like, look, you guys really screwed up by attacking us. Now you got to fix it. And that means working and not eating. So good luck yeah. with that. And you, you got Gavin so mad that he doesn't understand how, uh, how to give directions. No, but you know what? Gavin is probably the most sympathetic savior, uh, Lieutenant, right? He's the one who was had a, a pretty decent arrangement going with King Ezekiel. He's the one you you get the feeling he doesn't want to kill anyone. Like he doesn't enjoy doing this. He just does it because it's his job. You know, he's worse. <laughs> you think so? I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it's worse. It's gotta be worse I to guess. just to be a functionary and do evil things just because it's your fucking job. Well, like, that's I gotta be worse than actually being a psychopathic killer that enjoys, uh, you know, like Simon, for example, or Negan himself, just some kind of psychopath that enjoys inflicting terror and uh, uh, damage on people and hurting them. Uh, it's just, you know, not enjoying it, but doing it anyway, just because it's your job. I suppose you you, you have a good point. It, it, I suppose it could be worse, but I sort of saw Gavin as the guy who is like reluctantly doing it, kind of being forced into it, right? And But that doesn't make him sympathetic, does it? Well, I mean, he doesn't. And I don't think he derives the same amount of pleasure from watching other people suffer than, say, Simon or Negan does. Yeah, but he still does it. Yeah, you're right. right? He still does it. But he, I mean, his hand is being forced, right? Like, if your life was on the line. If you have a choice. You got to make a choice. You know, guess, be evil or don't be evil. If you're choosing to be evil, regardless of why you're, I don't know, we get into kind of a moral ambiguity thing, but I don't, I don't know what's worse, being a, uh, a functionary that does evil or an evil person that does evil. Hmm. Yeah. Both bad. It sounds like. Yeah. Hard to say though. You're right. Uh, anyways, we go to a commercial break and when we come back, we're with Maggie and Jesus on the road again. Simon of course is talking on and on like he does. He says everything has changed. He makes everybody hand over their guns and he tells Gary to shoot Jerry if anybody tries anything and all the hilltop people in the cars hand over their guns because what else are they going to do? And, you know, they have Jerry on his knees at gunpoint in front of them, so they don't want to watch Jerry get needlessly murdered. Yeah. We go to Negan outside Alexandria. He's telling on his speaker, he's yelling to Rick that it's time for him to go. He says, scorched earth, you dick. <laughs> and uh, suddenly Carl appears on the wall and says, Rick's not home. 
Yeah. Carlos. I'm, I'm afraid uh, Rick's not here at the moment. Uh, can I take a message? I'll take a message. You guys go away and I'll let him know you drop by. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I will give him the gist of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want to kill him? You called him a dick. And I think he knows why. Yeah. <laughs> well, Carl is, or our Negan is kind of impressed, I think, to see Carl up there standing up for himself. And Carl tries to tell him that there are families and kids in here. So, you know, you shouldn't just indiscriminately kill everybody. But Negan says, you know what, buddy? There were kids at the sanctuary too, including a baby from one of the outposts. And none of this is fair. And you started it pretty much. Yeah, we got that baby. We stole that baby. That baby's right here. The baby's here. We don't want to, we don't want to break in and kill the baby we stole that you're worried about. Sure. But Negan has a good point. It's like, you know what? You can't tell me there are families here after you attacked us and had no regard for the families or the children that were at the sanctuary or at any of the outposts. Yep. So, uh, okay. We're on team Negan again. Well, he has a bit of a point. You have to admit. He, he does have a point. Uh, Carl says that they can try to work this out, but Negan says, you know, your dad didn't want to talk. So too late for that. And then Carl offers him his own life up basically as a sacrifice. Uh, if, if, if there must be punishment and I have to die and that saves everyone and stops anything else bad from happening, then he's willing to do it. Right. Pretty crazy. Uh, and then Carl even questions Negan by saying, you know, was this the plan? Is this what you wanted to happen? Is this what you want it to be? You know, think about what you're doing here. And, uh, Negan seems to hesitate for a second, but, uh, he's Negan. And I think this is exactly what he wants to be doing. <laughs> yep. We go to Daryl. He's leading a bunch of vehicles through the back gate, uh, and outside, Laura is there with Dwight. She questions if the cars they've set up will stop the trucks from coming through. And Dwight says, yeah, of course, it'll hold. It'll hold. It'll be fine. Yeah, we've got cars here. They're all on tires and those tires are not pointed directly down the road. Therefore, they will stop whatever hits them. Sure. But no, some big trucks come smashing through the Alexandria wall and they just smash right through the cars and continue driving down the road. They, uh, Dwight and Laura and the rest of those saviors that are there guarding the back door, follow them. And you hear Laura radio to someone that that's what they're doing, that we're following them away and we'll go get them. Yep. Uh, back to Negan, who's outside the wall, who was sort of distracted by this, I guess. And when he looks back up at the wall, Carl is gone. So he gets pissed because I think he was just sort of getting, getting to see Carl's point. Uh, but he gets pissed and he orders all the saviors to fire grenades into Alexandria, which they do. And lots of explosions start happening inside the town on the other side of the wall. Yeah. Houses are blowing up and we go to a commercial break. As soon as I saw, yeah. Uh, okay. So we're, we're coming back to the, we, when we come back from the commercial break, unless you're playing a thing. I'm not playing a thing. So we come back from uh, the commercial break and. Uh, they blow up the friggin' uh, solar panels. And I was like, oh shit. They blew up all the solar panels. Yeah, that's right. I was right. very upset about that. Later on, Negan even comments on it. He's like, we could have used those. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like, and then they blew up a church. So what are you going to do? Right. They were just blowing up everything. They decided to just scorch the earth, as he said, and destroy the whole town. Uh, but we see Carl, we come back and Carl's coming down the ladder and he kind of falls down, hurting his leg. Right. Which, Which is a uh, red herring. If I ever saw one, <laughs> yeah. For what's well, wrong? For what's wrong? If I with fell him. down a ladder, I don't think I'd be walking. Well, probably not. But 
he's young and and healthy and strong. Uh, but oh yeah, shit! I've fallen off ladders when I was seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. That was not a problem at all. Just fine. See, but, I was like, shit! I fell down a ladder. Yeah, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna do that again. Might be fun. <laughs> uh, but he no. But this was them giving him an injury uh, for us to focus on and not think about what else might be wrong with him. Yeah, because right? if he was limping or struggling. Uh, Fine. at this point for no apparent reason we'd be like what's going on with Carl yeah we didn't see him so, fall down a ladder or anything but smart very smart which you know and it's perfectly plausible that because of what's going on with Carl I, I, you know we're going to spoil it but uh, because of what's going on with Carl he would he might fall down a ladder well exactly he's weak right he's he's starting to probably get hot and uh with a fever and, and he might yeah. lose his balance, maybe get dizzy and fall down the ladder, you know? Right. This is the kind of consistency I've been looking for. Oh, good. Right. See? I've got, everything just kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. Right. From the get go, everything just works. We've got an injury that causes another injury that distracts us from the real injury. And it's, uh, it's, it's good stuff. And, and later you realize too, when he's up on that wall and he's talking to Negan and he's offering his own life. I mean, oh, yeah. it's a, it's, it's kind of a hollow offering in a way, right? Because he's going to die anyways. Yeah, but, no, but if, take me. But if he can go out and save everybody in the process, I mean, that's first of all, very pretty heroic and uh, yep. pretty amazing, but he's got a plan. He's doing something, even though we don't know what it is at this point. Oh man, now I want to do draw a parallel with a very popular set of uh, books that uh, has a kind of a parallel story that you might not even know about. Okay, well, you can tell me later because I don't want you to spoil that for people. Yeah. And okay. if anyone really wants to know, send an email and Jason will tell you by email. Well, we'll just do a quick after hours maybe. Maybe we can do that too. That All way right. it's, don't have to listen and you don't have to be spoiled. Yeah, remind well, me. Carl, so Carl comes down, he's injured, but he gets up and he starts throwing smoke bombs around while stuff all over the place is blowing up. So he's creating smoke cover basically. Yeah, because smoke is bulletproof. Well, not bulletproof, but it's hard to shoot at it stuff. It obscures you, yeah. yeah it's like, yeah. Uh, it, I don't know where he is, so you just spray bullets and or, stuff. Or you don't shoot at all because you don't want to waste bullets for no reason. Ah, they're wasting bullets anyway. They, oh. got, uh, they got friggin' Eugene on the hook for making more bullets, so what the hell? Let's just waste them all. That Eugene guy can fix it. They're doing their, they're, uh, they're throwing friggin' grenades, uh, you know, rocket-powered grenades or whatever they are, uh, left, right, and center. So they're not really worried about ammunition. So. No. And I must admit, I, I sort of question. So they had rocket powered grenades all this time. You know, why not use a few of those to blow up the zombies outside the sanctuary? I, it, well, maybe they, maybe those were stored somewhere else. It's true. Maybe they were stored somewhere else. And, but we don't get that information, which to me was a little bit frustrating. You know, they're stuck in there. I guess they were stored somewhere else, um, but we know there was nothing else in that warehouse where they, we did see the fat lady, right? Yeah. So, I don't know. They're I, not I, rocket power grenades. I, I know we're going to get emails about that, but that's, they're, uh, they're grenades. They're mini grenades. They're like, it's like a grenade, but it's being thrown by a grenade launcher. Of like some a t-shirt cannon. Thunk. And yeah, exactly. Like, I don't think it's forced air like a t-shirt cannon. Well, uh, but e either way. Yes. The, 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 the uh, and uh, yeah, it's probably not some kind of uh, rail gun because that'd be really expensive. <laughs> right. Not really man portable. No. Anyway, some kind of technology is throwing grenades and uh, the grenades are plentiful. Sure. But that's, my point is just that like, okay, 
they they obviously had some weapons. I guess the explanation is they didn't have them with them. They had to pick them up on the way. But still, I think we could have been given a little bit more information generally about how they got out of the sanctuary because they did something. And all we really know is they shot a lot of the zombies and then made a couple of rail rows of them. So I just wish yeah. there was a little bit of explanation for where these heavy grenade weapons came from. Or how they, yeah, okay. So yeah, absolutely. There's some, there's a missing scene here somewhere. Well, two, exactly. two missing scenes, I think. Exactly. And that's, that's all we would have needed. Like, why not make it a 91 minute episode and, and include that scene, right? Yeah. Anyways, uh, we quickly go back to Gavin, who's at the kingdom, still talking to everyone. And he's asking them to give up Ezekiel because they haven't found him there yet. And he's really the one they're looking for. Nobody in the crowd says anything. And he says, if nobody gives him up, they'll have to do I'll have to do something traumatic, basically. And he gives them five minutes and we see Ezekiel sneak through the background outside the theater. So he's sneaking around, but Gavin doesn't know that yet. We go back to Maggie and everybody on the road and she asks Simon how they got out. And he just says, we figured it out. <laughs> so he's not yeah. telling us anything either, but he does tell her that the kingdom has been taken over as has Alexandria. And then he says, but the hilltop will keep producing for them with Maggie in charge. And they start to hear that classical music again. So I guess they've repaired the fat lady or they've uh, built another one. They built another one, Fat Lady 2, I guess. Fat Lady 2, yeah. And at this point, he says Eugene helped them get out and that they're leading the rest of the herd away. So I guess they killed some and they rebuilt Fat Lady 2 or built Fat Lady 2. And this was all Eugene's idea. And now they're leading the rest of them away. So that's, that's what we get. Or Eugene had a third two-inch speaker. Right. And he built another glider. <laughs> Yeah, something no. that was very, very loud. Yeah. I could draw all the zombies away. But we do hear the sound. So we hear the classical music they've been using. So they're they're driving something around. Why the hell wouldn't they play ACDC? This is pissing me off. It is. I think we got an email from a listener about that. Um, but uh, you're not the only ACDC fan out there. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> well, that's true. That is very true. God. Now, Simon says that what can happen now can go in one of two ways. Number one, we kill Jerry. We put Maggie in the box that's on the hood, drive her back to the hilltop where they kill her in front of the whole place, everybody there. Then they lead walkers back to the hilltop and do the same thing they did to the sanctuary. But that is just a huge pain in the ass for everybody. So why not instead, they all just turn around, go home, start producing for them, and they still have to kill one of the people to make their point. And... At this time, Simon shoots Neil in the back seat out of nowhere. Poor oh, Neil man. had his one line and he's dead. Neil shouldn't have gotten that line. That line was the kiss of death. I when, think, you're, when you're in the background of life, just shut up. Right? If just, you're in the background of obviously uh, a, you know, a side character in some kind of major story that is happening in the world, uh, don't try and be a hero. Trying to be a hero just gets you a hero moment. Right. Even if that hero moment is a single line and then you just get end up shot in the head to make a point by a bad guy. Yeah, I know. It's if you're asked to be the hero, then be the hero. But nobody asked Neil. He just spoke up and he put himself in the line of fire, literally yeah. and figuratively. And now he's dead. When in doubt, shut the hell up. When in doubt, 
stay quiet. That's a good, good advice. <laughs> if you stay quiet, people think will think you're smart. If you open your mouth, they'll know just how dumb you are. Right. <laughs> they'll know you're not. <laughs> exactly. Good advice. Well, poor Neil is dead and Simon threatens to kill more and he almost kills Jerry, but Maggie stops him and she says, I want a favor. I want the box on the hood to take Neil home and bury him. And Simon agrees. Yeah. A box full of holes. Well, so that if they put someone in there, they're, they're not going to suffocate this time because that no, was- No, I understand why there's holes, but you don't need to bury some, why bury somebody with, in a box full of holes? Well, it doesn't matter. Over time, the box is going to- degrade anyways so the so whole put them in a box well i just because that's Wrap what you them in do. a blanket throw them in the ground put some dirt over top of them shoot them in the head be done with it done and done well simon agrees in any case and we go to a commercial we come back and it's midnight at the sanctuary this is the first time we've seen eugene this episode and he can't sleep even after having a shot glass full of wine <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that was sort of weird, but it is new Eugene, Eugene, so it's going to be weird. Instead, of he's just, trying to ration his alcohol. I, I know, but if he if he says he needs one point five liters a night to sleep, you'd think he'd just chug that down and fall asleep. But it's more fun. Takes Makes a, him feel like a giant. Takes a maybe he really hates. <laughs> maybe he's like me and really hates hard liquor. Uh huh. And uh, and then uses a shot glass to uh, to shoot. Uh, apple cider, because that's about as hard as I can, I can get in oh, alcohol. Oh, how you have changed since you were how younger. How have I changed? Since you were younger, I can remember a time when you enjoyed drinking a little more than you do now. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, I still you know have what? a soft spot in my heart for tequila. To be fair, I don't know if you enjoyed it back then, but you certainly did it. I certainly did. No, tequila, I really liked. I, 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 yeah, that was kind of scary, the, how much I liked tequila. <laughs> We should, uh, we should go out for tequila some night. That'd be fun. Uh, yeah, maybe. Things get weird. <laughs> maybe, maybe you should come over to my house for some tequila one night. <laughs> yeah, no, I can, uh, I I've gotten like really wasted on tequila like five or six times in my life and I can relate a very weird story every single one of those times. Well, we'll have to hear one someday. Oh, and they happened in the nineties, my friend. <laughs> yes, they did. Just like everything else in your life. Uh, anyways, Eugene can't sleep he tries some wine lies back down and he gets that super pained look on his face again uh, but we cut away to smoky alexandria and carl is staggering around saviors are looking around the place carl leans up against the door of one of the houses and he looks to be in some pain but of course that's just his leg that he hurt falling off yeah, the, yeah. Uh, he fell off a ladder off God. the ladder exactly and then he hears something or somehow realizes that the house is going to explode and he makes it away just in time. Did you understand how he knew that house was going to explode at that moment? Yeah, he's, he's Spider-Man. Well, I don't think that's it. <laughs> he's got spider senses. He has he some thinks. kind of spidey sense because he knew it was going to explode. He runs away and after he gets up off the ground, he looks and he sees what looks like a burning cross or I thought maybe a burning scarecrow in the distance. <laughs> It was the church that was on the fire. It was still the church on fire? Okay. I think it was the church on fire. But, okay, so he heard them say blow up every second house, right? So he knows that houses are going to blow up. And I guess he's been looking around uh, and maybe he can see which houses are being blown up and which which ones aren't. And maybe understands that this is the one that's going to be blown up. 
I didn't hear the. I didn't hear that they were blowing up every second house. I thought they were just blow up every house in the place. No, the guy uh, Negan said blow up every second house. Oh, okay, I missed that. So maybe he identified the pattern and was like, "This house is due for demolition, so I better not lean here for very long." Yeah, this one. Yeah, maybe he uh, uh, can see the uh, the laser targeting. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But anyways, he gets away for now and uh, then sees Yeah, it wasn't the... a cross. It was just the uh, a house that was on fire and there was a flames going up one of the pillars and uh, catching, the roof was starting to catch on fire. Okay. It looked like a cross, but it wasn't a it burning did, cross. Did it look like a scarecrow at all? No, it didn't look like a scarecrow at all. I mean, it might've been symbolism as, uh, you know, if, if the producers and, you know, directors and uh, special effects people were actually super racist and they wanted to get something into the show that was super racist that would get by all the censors. Well, I, I hope not. I hope that's not the case. That's probably not the case. Probably not. Yeah. I like to think better of people that they're not all super racist that are, you know, conspiring to get racist imagery onto television. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hope that's not a real thing. Although I'm sure it probably is at some point. Anyways, we go to Daryl and they have set up a, an ambush on the road, a smoke signal, uh, and they're chatting before the, the saviors get there and Tara assures them that the saviors didn't get out because of their garbage truck silliness. Although she doesn't call it that I'm calling it that. <laughs> uh, but Rosita says, even if they did, it doesn't matter. It was just a mistake and they all make them. So, yeah. eh, I don't know. I still think it was shit happens. Well, yeah, but sometimes there are severe consequences to your shit happening. And this is one of those times I think. Uh, anyways, Dwight and Laura and the other saviors show up. Dwight makes sure that they drive up as close as possible to where Daryl, Tara, Rosita, Michonne are, and then they open fire. Lots of saviors die. Dwight takes cover, and he shoots a bunch of saviors as well, taking cover behind their cars. So Yeah, he's, you know. he's a crack shot with that friggin' pistol too, eh? Yeah, that's okay. Damn. He knows what he's doing. Um, yeah, well, he accidentally shot friggin' Dr. Denise instead of Daryl. You well, know, one, have better aim in the past. Maybe he's learned from his mistakes. Yeah, maybe. Also, crossbow's different than a handgun. I think you can probably be good with one and not so good with the other. Crossbow's probably more accurate at a longer range than a pistol. But I, anyway, he is a crack shot now, and uh, he does good work. He does good work here for the good guys, if we can call them yep. that. And uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but when uh, Dwight was uh, pulling that trigger, mm -hmm. uh, the pistol uh, action was cycling and there was brass being spewed out the side. Oh, people are going to be so happy, Jason. I was happy to see that. And then he, and then it, uh, he unloaded and it's, it clicked open, like it was done. And uh, so I was very happy to see that. I was okay. like, oh so yeah. Does that mean that they were actually shooting blanks in this scene with a real handgun not just like a, a pretend gun that was doing nothing i don't know i know that uh a blank in uh in a semi-automatic rifle behaves differently than a blank in a handgun i'm not sure how it would behave in a handgun whether it'd be, there'd be enough pressure to cycle the action whereas in a, in a yeah if there's a piston if it's piston fed in a rifle there's a little hole at the end of the barrel in going up that'll push a piston back which recocks the weapon mm -hmm. but not in a handgun so i don't know if there's enough pressure inside a blank round to do that so it might have been uh you can rig them up so that when they're electrical right you click it and it cycles back it looks like it's clicking back and forth and then in post they add in the sound effects and the right brass kicking out and stuff so i have no idea whether it was practical or uh, special or a combination of both but it could have been it could be practical could have been yeah and either way it's 
more realistic. So that's good. Oh, it was great. It was great to see. I was very happy. All right. Well, you won't be the only one, I'm sure. Uh, anyways, Laura comes around and she realizes that he's the traitor because he's killing saviors. She shoots him in the shoulder. So she's not such a crack shot if she was trying to kill him because she's right well, there. Shoots him in the shoulder. She had another chance right afterwards. She wanted to speechify. She wanted to to talk to him about the whole situation rather than killing him. So I assume she meant to shoot him in the arm. I, I think you might be right. I mean, she could have been thinking, let's get you back to Negan and see how he deals with you, right? As a traitor. Nah, she just wanted to bitch at him for a while. Well, I think she's probably pissed off and maybe she does want to do that. Anyways, she takes some fire. Uh, she screams. Oh, she screams at Dwight to tell them to stop shooting. So she needs yeah. Dwight to give everybody the order to stop shooting so they can survive this. Um, but then she runs away anyways. Yeah. So she gets away. Uh, Negan, he drives his trucks through the gates of Alexandria. Wait, before he drives them through the gates, he sets them on fire. What? Like, well, he blows it up. There's an explosion. The gate. But it's not the gate. Okay. Like, but it's not really a c concussive explosion to blow open the gates. Mm -hmm. It's more of an incendiary. Uh, so basically he just wanted to be cool. So he somehow used, uh, uh, his weapons to set the gates on fire and then drove through them with a deuce and a half. It was, uh, it was just spectacular. So, was, and that's what he meant to do. Right. He, like, the guy likes to make an entrance. We know that. Yeah. So if you're going to smash through the gates of a town first, yeah. light them on fire and then smash through. That's right. You don't want to blow them up because then it ruins your entrance. It's just open gates that you drive through. You don't want to just drive through them because, you know, where's the suspense and tension in that? So you, you know, set them on fire the second before you blow through them. They do the same thing with stunt uh, motorcycles. When dr motorcycles are driving through, uh, you know, when they do a jump mm -hmm. and then they drive, they go through a hoop. Yeah. What happens when just soon as they go through the hoop, the whole thing blows up and sets is, goes on fire. Right. Because they want to please the crowd because it's just a big explosion, fun, happy time fire ring. <laughs> so this is, this is what he's doing is he's just, uh, he's making an entrance. Crowds, quite the entrance. crowds love a happy time fire ring and yeah. explosions and people making a grand entrance. Yes. So, so if you can uh, do all three of those things, why not? Yeah. So Negan, Negan knows what he's doing. All right. Well, he lights it on fire, drives his trucks through he gets out and he tells his men to search the place for Carl, but don't kill him. And I think here he says blow up every house, doesn't he? So, oh. yeah. So he, I think at this point he said blow up every house and maybe he said every second house, but either way, Carl didn't know that yet. Okay. So Carl was psychic enough to know that he was going to say that uh. and that this was the targeted house in the, I, I don't know there's no reason for him to know that this house was about to blow up well see i thought and that takes me back i thought carl heard something in the house or or maybe he heard the grenade land before it exploded i don't know if they work that way but they do not no they explode on impact right i would assume so well I would, I mean, I'm, not, I'm not really sure but i assume so i don't know if, if anyone can explain how carl knew that house was going to explode let us know uh anyways negan says he's going to rick's house to make some spaghetti I don't think that's yeah. what he's really going to do, though. Well, that's where the spaghettis are, though. It is. That's what he did the last time he was there. Yeah. Uh, Carl is staggering around. A couple of saviors see him, but he drops a smoke bomb, just like we said, drops a smoke bomb and then disappears down the trap door into the sewer. Yes, because he's so strong that that solid iron uh, manhole cover 
or that very heavy. Those things are very heavy. You ever try and move a manhole cover by hand? No, but give me a second here. Is this the one he was fiddling with before, just before Negan attacked? So it was already open, maybe. The one he was moving by hand? Well, yeah, but, you know, let's just say he was moving it by hand. He had time to open it. Uh, the question is, does he have time to, to close it? But maybe if those saviors took a, a minute to get over to him, I don't know. This is the, uh, really, this is the only problem I had with this whole episode. I mean, really, this is the biggest problem I had with this episode, was that he's, regardless of whether he opened it, and then went in and then closed it, or whether it was already opened, and he jumped down and closed it, he did it quickly and silently. Yeah, and it, it seemed effortlessly, so. Yeah, he was, that was Batman level, getting out of there with smoke. Well, you're right. It's a little, it's a little hard to believe but i think maybe it was open already and he was able to jump in and close it before the saviors got there right in any case okay. he disappeared down and they didn't know where he went because of his so, smoke magic trick so now in this episode carl is a, a mix of spider-man and batman because he's got spidey sense and he's got batman's uh smoke disappearability and agility let's say and agility uh yeah okay so that's well, fine. He's, I'm mixing universes, but whatever. He's a bit of a superhero in this episode. Yes. Yeah, we all know what that yes. means. Well, uh, where are we? We go to commercial and we come back. We are with Eugene again. He comes to see Dr. Carson and Father Gabe. Incidentally, Father Gabe looks terrible. Like, he really looks like he's on his deathbed yeah. here. He's got puffy eyes. His nose is red. Yeah, he's looking, uh, he's looking pretty awful. Not looking good at all. Uh, but Eugene basically tells him that he's going to let them escape. He says there's no guard at the North Gate because he gave him something that's going to make him have explosive diarrhea. <laughs> or what, did he, what was the catastrophically crapping his khakis? Yes. Was the, uh, was, was the line. That was the so it, Eugenism for that. Yeah, which I think is funny because it's a catastrophe. It's catastrophic. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's not just bad for this guy. This is like destroying the neighborhood. Uh, we need to call in the uh, the National Guard to help fix this guy. Uh, he's crapping his pants so bad. <laughs> it's so hard that we need to call in the military to help us yeah. out here. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty bad. Anyways, he's not guarding the door anymore, of course. Yeah, it's not just a critical failure. It's a catastrophic failure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Eugene also, you know, accidentally drops some keys on the ground to a vehicle that he says is out there. Now, Gabe offers Eugene to come with them, but Eugene declines, and Father Gabe says that Eugene is indeed doing the right thing, whether he thinks so or not. So, yep. Father Gabe is saying, come back, we'll accept you back, it's fine, you help me escape, everyone will be okay, but Eugene doesn't want to go. No. We go over to the, to, uh, the kingdom, and Ezekiel is emptying drums of gasoline around the kingdom, and then lights it on fire, causes a big explosion, which the saviors see, and Gavin orders his men to go check it out. And then Ezekiel drives up in a school bus um, to, uh, I mean, help everyone escape, I guess. And Nabila, who we haven't seen in a while, but she's been in the crowd here. She grabs a gun and the rest of the kingdom people run out toward, towards and out the gate. Uh, Carol sees Nabila and tells her to take everybody to the house she was living in two miles down the road. So that's sort of like their safe house for now, I guess. You have to have a rally point. Right. A point to meet in an emergency. 
yeah, you have one at work, right? You've discussed it with your coworkers and say in the case of some kind of catastrophic, you know, crap that happens, uh, <laughs> everybody get out and meet in this one location, well, which I assume is the Tim Hortons around the corner from you. Where, well, absolutely. I mean, we would all just know to go there because that's where everyone goes anyways. Well, you should, you should, you know, post that as a plan, uh, somewhere in the break room just to, in, to let everybody know that, uh, in, so you can count noses, right? And, you know, go, oh shit, Fred's still stuck in the, whatever, the murder room and, uh, he might be dead. <laughs> How'd you know we have a murder room in the office? You told me you showed me the murder room. Oh, that's right. <laughs> just <laughs> kidding, everybody. <laughs> what does Chris do for a living again? Yeah. I forget. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with murder rooms. No. No. Uh, yes. Well, they have this, this meeting point. It's Carol's old house or not so old house, I guess. She's probably still living there. Um, but she, as she gets to the kingdom gate, she sees Ezekiel closing it and Carol, you know what she says now? Carol she says, says oh, yeah, she says, yeah, go your, ahead. your majesty. She does. Calls him your majesty, which I think is amazing. Um, but he tells her to save the people just like she saved him. And he closes himself inside the gate. And then uh, Gavin runs up and Ezekiel takes a punch to the face. Oh, that's too bad. It's well, too- he's obviously going to die, right? Well, I, I don't think he's going to die immediately because Gavin said we want to take him alive. So they're taking him back to see Negan or they're basically taking him prisoner at this point. Uh, but the whole scene I thought was fantastic because of the interaction between him and Carol and they, they have grown to greatly respect each other. These two characters. And I thought it was fantastic. I think they should get together. Yeah, I think so too. There's a lot of people out there that are still on, on board with, uh, Daryl and Carol. Oh, that's so season three. It is, but there's a lot of people shipping Ezekiel and Carol at this point. And I'm kind of in that crowd now. I'm, I'm with, uh, yeah, I want Ezekiel and Carol to get together. I want them to find a cabin and be, uh, real Carol and fake, uh, King Ezekiel forever. <laughs> the King and Carol. Yes. That's a show right there. That, that's a show. <laughs> she calls him your highness, your majesty. Yeah. And he that's calls her wanted. Carol. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, what happens next? Maggie uh, and them returning to the hilltop. She goes to the pen and after Gregory tries to beg her to release him, blah, blah, blah. She brings out Dean. So another guy we haven't seen too much. And then Gregory says, oh, he gets to get out. Yeah. What a sniveling <laughs> idiot. <laughs> that was awesome. I was like, you really don't understand anything. You fuck it. No, he doesn't understand anything. Uh, Dean also doesn't understand what is good for him. And he taunts Maggie. I think he calls her cupcake. Yeah, I said cup, if Cupcake wants to have a show or yeah. something like that. You know what? That's fine if it's truly a term of endearment. That This was just insulting. Well, of course. And that was his point, right? He Absolutely. wanted to belittle her. He did. And now he got shot in the face. So, Well, that was going to happen anyway. So you might as well take your sh- your shot. Sorry about the pun. I guess so. To, uh, to belittle her as much as you can, right? I guess. But Maggie executes him, right? So the idea was Simon killed... Um, Neil in the back seat and Maggie killed Dean from the pen. So they're one for one. And she says that they have to be ready with, uh, with all the others under attack. It's up to the hilltop to make the last stand. 
which I yeah, thought was great. Go and reinforce the walls. Yep. Let's uh, let's get ready for a siege. Yeah, I think it was great. Like she is so stepping up and saying it's Hilltop's last stand. It's if yeah. we fall, this is it. We're it's it's over. You gotta build. Uh, you gotta build a, a, a way like we were talking about last week when uh, when they break down the door, they come into this uh, you know an area where uh, there's uh, arrow slits and murder holes. That's uh, you need that. You don't you don't just put a wall around your town. You have to you have to really think about uh, you know what happens in a siege and what happens in a siege is sometimes they break down the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So. And then you, you reinforce everything except for that one spot so that they know that it's a weak spot and they break it down. You go in and you pour fire on their heads. You're ready for them. Yeah. So. Or you throw, you throw uh, you know, copious amounts of turnips because <laughs> they have lots of turnips, I assume. Sure. Still. And a, a turnip thrown hard enough would hurt if it hit you in the face. Oh my God. Yeah. You know? It's so hard and waxy. It really Just, is. It'd be really annoying. Okay, well, we have a commercial break and we come back. We are on the road at the ambush point again with Daryl and everybody. And Dwight yells to them that it's over. They come out pointing their guns at him. Dwight tells them what he did and Daryl lowers his gun. Then Dwight asks if they, or sorry, Daryl asks if they got out because of what he did. But Dwight says it was Eugene too. So they all genuinely believe that this whole thing was Eugene's idea or they were able to escape because of Eugene. Somehow. Somehow. I still don't know how. No, we don't really know the details, but somehow. Uh, Dwight also says that he can still help them. He says that he wants Negan to die and that they can settle up their own differences after. Fair enough. I mean, I guess yep. in one, some way he's just trying to keep himself alive a little bit longer, but he's no, also. No, he's not. He's, he believes in the philosophy of, you know, when you're setting out to do revenge, first dig two graves. He knows he's a dead man. He's just asking for his revenge first. He's asking for some time, yeah, to yeah. do what he wants to do. Okay, fair enough. So he's kind of, he's kind of noble in that respect. He knows that this is yeah. probably not going to end well for him, but at least let him do something good or what he's trying to do first, you know? It's noble suffering. I can, uh, I can get on board with that. Okay, good. Uh, Daryl, he takes his angel wing vest back. (laughs) Roughly. Roughly, but he gets his vest back. That's one of his signature items. I was happy to see that. Yep. Uh, Michonne says they need to get back now. And then Rosita helps Dwight up. We go over to the hilltop again. They put Dean, uh, no, Dean, they put Neil in the coffin, I guess. And, uh, Maggie wants, writes a note, or do they put Dean in? No, I think they put Dean in because she writes a note on it that says, we have 28 more, stand down. Yeah. So that's right. They're trying to say like, don't attack or we're going to start killing the people we do have hostage. And 38 she, more. They have, uh, they have a whole bunch. Oh, 38. Well, there you go. And she says to leave it outside the gate. So I guess when the saviors do get there, they'll be like, oh no, they killed Dean. If we attack, they're going to kill more. So we better fall back. She could have just put his head on a pike and stuck it out the front gate. She sure could have. That could have been, that would have been very Game of Thrones slash medieval everywhere. <laughs> I'm just going to say right now that it would have been very Walking Dead too, but yeah, let's move, let's move on. Uh, Gavin telling Ezekiel that a lot more people have to die now because of what he did, uh, but he says he didn't want it this way. So you see, Gavin doesn't like what he's doing, but he does it anyways. That's right. Because he's a good functionary, evil bastard. All right, fine. Uh, and 
as they're talking, we see Morgan for the first time this episode, and he's sneaking up outside the gate listening. Uh, and uh, we hear we hear Gavin, I think, say to his guys to break Ezekiel's arms if he tries anything. Yep. So they're taking him hostage, but Morgan's listening. He knows what's going on. Uh, back out on the road outside Alexandria, Daryl opens the sewer and he drops a rock in, I think, to determine the, the distance or the depth, I mean. He does a crisp splash. I don't know, like the rock splashes in water, so I guess he wants to find out how deep the poop is. <laughs> right, I guess, how deep things are. Uh, now they're back outside Alexandria, so they can hear all the explosions happening. Michonne looks, you know, really upset and terrified. And everybody else goes down into the sewer except Michonne, who goes into Alexandria. Yeah. Because she needs the help. And now, Rick, he's back. He's arriving home at Alexandria. Of course, he finds the place on fire, exploding. He gets to his house, and he goes inside looking for Carl or Michonne or Judith. <laughs> I think it's funny how he went through each of their names, you know? Yeah. Uh, but then as he's sneaking around, Negan, as we know, is there. He attacks him, they fight, they both get a few good hits in, although Negan gets the first shots because he had the element of surprise, I guess. And one of my favorite parts of the episode, Negan is, of course, talking the whole time, and Rick asks him if he ever shuts the hell up, and Negan says, <laughs> nope. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so he knows, he knows very well what kind of guy he is. Negan uh, tells Rick that Carl volunteered to die, which is amazing. And he says that he's going to fix Carl and make him one of his top guys. Yeah. So this is Negan's plan to like take Carl, train him up to being one of his top lieutenants. At least that's yeah, his plan good, for now. It's a good plan. I guess. Rick yeah. knows based on the conversation that Rick had with Carl a little while ago, he knows that uh, Carl's kind of leaning towards, there's the seed of that, of the Negan ideal, right? He's proto Negan right. right now. And he, and Rick knows that. So he sees this as a possibility and it enrages him. Right. So what does he do? He's on the ground. He grabs some kind of brass cup looking thing, whatever yep. it was. It's a goblet. It's a goblet, I guess. And he swings around and he knocks Negan right in the face and he just goes straight down on his back oh he fell down like a sack of hammers right there he did awesome. I, I thought it looked great though like yeah it was, it was really good it was a good stunt um now at this point this was a little bit frustrating i must admit rick grabs lucille he yeah. has lucille in his hand and instead of using the spiky end on negan he butt ends him with the, yep. the end of the bat, which is going to do considerably less damage, you got to think. Well, yeah, it's, it's you know, there's no, uh, there's no barbed wire on that thing. So tell me, Jason, why wouldn't Rick just hit him with that baseball bat like he's swinging for a home run and, and keep hitting him and kill him? Well. I mean, other than the obvious. Well, well there's two obvious things going on here. One is you can't kill Negan because you just don't want to. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's, it's, that's his superpower. The other one is you can't use Lucille to kill Negan. Uh, and even Negan yells out, ah, don't you touch her. Right. Did you catch that? Yeah. Yeah. He was upset about Rick more. Ups, ups, he was worried about his own life, but he was more upset about Rick using Lucille, which tells me Lucille is a sentient being. <laughs> <laughs> who is controlling things and Negan is uh, 
completely upset about uh he, he's not worried about his own protection he's worried about her protection right this confirms right? your theory for you i see absolutely yeah <laughs> you know don't touch her i don't care about me you can bash you can hit me with a cup you can hit me with a rock you can take out your axe that's your hatchet that's sitting at your belt i don't know why you're not using that it's your signature weapon look at the uh, the cover art for the season mm-hmm. so you've got a hatchet mm-hmm. no hatchet versus bat and now rick uses bat i don't think so so and uses bat the wrong way, which is what my uses problem bat was. the wrong way, and then Negan yells out, "Don't you touch her!" And uh, yeah, it's all very complex, and nobody wants to kill Negan when it gets down to it. Well, here's the thing: I I thought it was like, "Oh, come on!" I mean, Rick has had so many chances, and I think in this case, I'm a little bit more okay with it because I was thinking, okay. It's the middle of a a vicious fight, heat of the moment. He picks up the bat and he just kind of uses it in the most convenient way he can. Not like a baseball bat. I know, not like a baseball bat, but... If you picked up a baseball bat, would you use it like a baseball bat? Chances are you'd be playing baseball, so yes. Yeah, chances are. But if I was in the middle of a really vicious fight with someone and I picked it up and it was awkward and maybe it was backwards in my hand and I just needed to get a shot in, I might just hit him with... However, I picked it up. Now, it looks like Rick has it, you know, in hand the right way to deliver a crushing blow, but he doesn't. And whatever. I mean, it's not the first time this has happened, but I was just thinking, all right, maybe in the heat of the battle, he screwed up because he he couldn't use it right. But it is a little bit frustrating. Anyways, Negan. Ah, He didn't kill him because he loves him so much. Right. That must be it. Negan gets up. Uh, or sorry, Negan kicks Rick down. So Rick goes down again, uh, sees his Python on the floor. He, Negan's getting up, Rick grabs the gun, but before he can get an aimed shot off, he does fire, but he doesn't hit anything. Uh, are you sure? I wasn't sure. I don't think he, I don't think he shot Negan. I think he shot past him. And then. Cause the sound of the shot happened just like, uh, the scene was inside the, the room when Rick was like lunging for the Python and then the camera angle, camera shot changed to outside the window. And then we heard a shot and then Rick came through the window. Did we hear outside the building? I thought we heard the shot before the camera went outside the building. No, I heard the shot after the camera went outside the building. So I don't know that Negan wasn't shot. Okay. I, all right. I'll, I'll go with you. You have the video in front of you right now. I, in my mind, the shot happens before the camera goes out, but I'll trust you. So you, okay, there's a chance Negan is shot. I don't think he is, but. And certainly not in any sort of fatal, ser- serious fatal way, but uh, yeah, maybe They opened is. up the ambiguity of it in my mind. Okay. That Negan could be, you know, nursing a bullet wound. Okay, fair enough. We will have to wait until the second half of the season to find out. Uh, yeah. But in any case, he does... F- Rick does come flying out the window and, uh, he basically gets up and runs away. Yep. Uh, now we see a zombie inside Alexandria, so they've made their way in. Um, uh, our first zombie? Um, maybe, <laughs> is it? <laughs> I don't know. I think we saw one at a distance, but this is our first close-up zombie of this episode, as uh, far as I know. Yeah, and I think the only one. We're almost at the end here. Uh, as we know, Michonne came into the town. She slices his head uh, in half and, uh, you know, Rick's running around. We see a savior come up and grab Michonne and he says they're all dead, but she 
fights him off and then slices him up and then just goes to town on him. Like he's on the ground and she is just hacking away with her, her sword. Meanwhile, in the background, the spire of the church falls down. Oh yeah. And it flames and sparks. I didn't know. I didn't notice that either, but that does sound cool. It was cool. Uh, Rick finds Michonne. He stops her and he asks her where everybody is. Like, where is everybody? What happened here? Like, what the hell? (laughs) Yeah. Like what's going on here? Yeah. So they enter the sewer where we find out everybody is hiding and Rick walks amongst everybody. And we go through another one of these, uh, sort of close up slow motion massage, uh, massages. I keep saying massage montage. <laughs> I think I did that. He sees before. Uh, okay. In the distance, he sees Judith. He does. Right? Yes. Like she's in the center and then he walks down the center, but then she moves out of the way and uh, what's his name? The guy Carl is helping. Sadiq. Sadiq is in the background. So he goes, you know, noticing his daughter is fine. And then she, she moves out of the way and he notices Sadiq. And then he walks down between amongst uh, all these people and gently touches his daughter on the shoulder as he just kind of walks past her. Uh-huh. Like, holy fucking shit, dude. I mean, tell me, if you had come home <laughs> and your house was on fire, and somebody was had broken in and uh, was trying to kill your whole family. Mm-hmm. And you went into the sewer underneath your house and you saw that your daughters were fine. Would you just walk past them to go talk to somebody who is also there? No, I, I'd probably, uh, probably want to spend a little, at least a moment with them before I moved on. Yeah. Give them a hug. Hi. Yeah. It's nice to see you. That you're alive. Uh, I'm glad to see that. Uh, you're probably glad to know that I'm also alive. Uh-huh. This is a wonderful reuniting moment. Uh, not for Rick. Well, he's got something else he has to do in a second, although he doesn't know it yet. But the other thing is Judas doesn't give a shit either. No. So what's going on there? <laughs> yeah, well, it's hard to get a, a kid that young to uh emote properly but is is he mad is she mad at him is he does he not like her because uh she was born of possibly shane I think oh, she, or you know he's kind of shane. mad at her for being shane's i don't think she knows that yet no but do you think rick knows that and that's why he doesn't like his daughter oh maybe i think rick and does has know been that. shunning her her whole life and that's why she doesn't give a shit that he's back because he's always been a stranger to her anyway Wow, man, you were really analyzing the family here. Well, I can't imagine ever walking into a room where my son is there and me not being excited to see him and him not going, hi, Dada, and, you know, giving me a big hug. Yeah, especially in this, well, in this sort of horrible situation, right? Yeah, I, you know, I see him every day at the daycare when I go and pick him up and he's excited to see me and I'm excited to see him. There you go. You know, and nobody's in danger of dying, you know, really as much as these people are in. Anyway, I, I guess... I just was very surprised to see that he would just walk past his uh, toddler daughter yeah. in this situation. No, you make it was good, upsetting. You make a good point. Uh, but in terms of the face montage, we start with Maggie, we go to Jesus, we come back to Rick walking, and this is, you know, where we get into this sort of family problem. We go to Rosita, Tara, Carol, Ezekiel, and he smiles a bit. So, and yet he smiles, Jason. He's being yep. beat up and captured, but he smiles. We go to Morgan. We see Dwight in the sewer. So, you know, he's down there now. Uh, we go to Eugene, Father Gabe. Uh, as you said, Rick sees Judith. And then he sees Sadiq. And he hears Carl say, I brought him here. So Rick turns to Carl. And Carl 
does not look very good. He nope, looks to be in because he hurt his knee. He's that's right. He fell off a ladder and hurt his knee. Uh, but really, he reveals to Rick and Michonne, who are his, you know, father and essentially stepmother at this point. He reveals that he's being bit in the abdomen. You know what I thought when I saw that? What did you think? I thought, holy shit, I didn't see that coming. Well, I want to talk about that in a second, but uh, it turns out he was bit in the skirmish with the walkers in the forest with Sadiq. He's been bit this whole time. And of course, Rick and Michonne look totally devastated. The camera pulls back through the sewer tunnel until Carl is in the far distance, or all of them are, and we fade to black mid-season finale over. Yeah. So, Carl, so big shocking moment that AMC teased is Carl having a bite mark on his abdomen, which is not a limb you can cut off. And no, even you if you cut off his chest, no, you can't, or his, you can't carve a section out of his stomach. Um, and even if it was, he was bit hours before and he's had this the whole time and he's known, he's known about it. Um, so it would be too late to do that anyways. And Carl's a goner. Yeah, he's fucked. Like he's, he's done. Like we can't, he's not going to survive. So we he can't, need, we need to talk about this a little bit because, um, Scott Gimple was on AMC's Talking Dead show after yep. the episode. And the first question Chris Hardwick had for him is, is Carl dead? Is he a goner? Like there's, he cannot survive this, can he? It's impossible. And Gimple's answer was, this bite will play out like every other zombie bite has on this show. However, that doesn't mean Carl's story is completely finished yet. Right. So they're going to play it out for the next half a season. So what that means to me is Carl's going to die. There's no way to survive this. He's going to get the yeah. fever. He's going to die. He's going to become a zombie. Someone's going to have to shoot him in the head, but he either will do something before that happens or he will still play a part in the show in some way in terms of uh flashback or flash forward to the the old man carl or old man rick scenario where for the record we saw carl so you know what does that mean i don't know but anyways uh, my, my point was that scott gimple basically confirmed that there's no coming back from this and carl's character in the present timeline is going to die and will be basically off the show Yes, which is good. Well, not good as in good, but good as in they're not going to fuck with, uh, fuck with the shit to help him survive. Like in order for him to survive, they'd have to change some rules. They'd have to break and the rules. I'm glad that they won't change the rules. Absolutely, I hundred yeah. percent agree. Um, so once you die, there's ways to come back, right? Uh, look at Dexter. You know, we had his dead father appear throughout the show. That's very true. He was, he was a, he was a, you know, a character. Uh, this also happened in, uh, six feet under, mm -hmm. uh, where one of the characters died right at the beginning, but he was also in the show the whole time. Yeah. Uh, we've had uh, Locke on, uh, lost died. And in that show, we would, they were very, very clear. Dead is dead. Mm -hmm. But then Locke was kicking around for like the rest of the show. <laughs> right? And so there are ways. And we've seen characters appear to Rick before after they've been dead. Laurie, you know, yeah. she appeared to him. 
So there are a few ways for Carl to remain on the show. Um, but in reality, in the show's reality, Carl's dead. I hope that he doesn't come back in one of those ways. And that's going to be difficult to do because uh, Chandler Riggs is still a young man. He is. And he's going to grow and age. Yep. And it's going to be obvious. If he comes, if this show runs for another five seasons and Carl is a, uh, you know, a apparition of conscience for Rick or Michonne or Daryl or whoever, uh, he's going to be like the character Carl's going to be dead and should remain exactly the same. That can't happen with an actor that young. No, that's right. That's so, absolutely right. It's going to be very difficult to do. So I think that uh, Scott Gimple saying that it's going to play out. I think it's going to play out for the next half a season and then Chandler Riggs is gone. But how can they extend it for half a season? Like, is the next half a season going to take place in 24 hours? I mean, I know the first half of the season almost did, but do, do you think it might be uh, like I'm thinking that maybe Carl has something important that's going to that he's going to do or that has to happen for the character um and that will be part of whatever happens in the next episode episode number nine when it comes back uh i think it's on february 25th they announced so i think that i think that maybe it's more of a short-term real world timeline thing that carl has to participate in and then will be dead once and for all. Yeah. I mean, they could extend it. There's ways to extend it. If he goes to the hilltop, we have uh, the doctor now on his way to the hilltop with uh, Father Gabe. Yeah. And Father Gabe is also sick, so maybe he'll learn a lesson from Father Gabe on how to keep people alive once they've been infected. Uh, you know, they're, everybody's infected, but once they've been bitten, for example. Sure. Uh, or eating gore, which is stupid, Father Gabe. You should, don't eat the gore. <laughs> yeah, just That's spread like it on yourself. number one. Don't eat it, yeah. <laughs> Don't eat it. So maybe he'll use that experience or whatever. He'll be able to keep uh, Carl alive for longer than uh, a normal uh, bitten person would be able to be alive. Actually, you know, that's a good point. I think maybe they, they might be able to do that if Carson has the medicine he needs. Because, you know, even this kind of infection could be treated for a while. It's, it's not curable. But maybe yeah. you can extend someone's life a little bit. So you squish enough zombie eyes into the IV, it'll keep somebody alive that's been infected for a long time. Maybe this is the kind of thing that he's learned over the last year. It could be. It could be. So so you're right. Carl could spend the next eight episodes in a hospital bed, um, and then and then die. But I I think he probably has something a little bit more important, something he actually has to do that we don't really know anything about yet. Um, and I, and I have a feeling that it's going to play out in the first episode or two back like nine or 10, and then kind of be, or set the wheels in motion for whatever the next phase of their plan is, if they even have one or whatever the next phase of retaliation is against the, uh, saviors. Right. I don't know what that's going to be, but I, like, I don't want to see Carl lying in a hospital bed for eight eight episodes with Rick coming back in every, every day to talk to him or something like that, even if he's unconscious and he's just talking at him. But I would prefer Carl to do something, play a part, then expire and be put to rest once and for all. Yeah, I agree. 
So I, I don't know. But in terms of a shocking moment, did you see it coming? You did not? I did not. I forgot that there was going to be a shocking moment. Well, see, you're good at that. Uh, or good at least, what? Forgetting things? Well, you were in this case. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I told you like just days before and you were able to forget it. Uh, and you were surprised. You were genuinely surprised. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, I didn't see that coming. Then I remembered that I was supposed to not see something coming. And I was like, wow, that worked. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Did you not see it coming? I did not see that coming. AMC uh, released an official image earlier in the day on Sunday of a bite mark on a bandage or like the outline of blood in a shape of a bite mark on a bandage. And I didn't put two and two together. I, you know, I don't think many people did. But I have to eat my hat a little bit here, honestly. Last week, I... chocolate hat? Well, no, sadly. (laughs) But I wish. (laughs) But the reason I have to eat my hat is because last week I said I condemned AMC for, like, spoiling the shocking moment. And I said, I'm going to be watching this episode the whole time thinking, is it coming now? Is this it? Is it coming? Oh my God, is this a shocking moment? No? Oh, okay, maybe it's in the next bit, you know, whatever. And I thought that would take away from my experience watching the episode. But in, in, a, in a strange way, it kind of enhanced it. And I need to eat my hat because whatever AMC did, I must now admit that it sort of worked. Because I felt pretty tense and on the edge of my seat for a lot of this episode thinking... I really think something bad is going to happen to Carl because of how much screen time he got in this and just everything going back to the gas run with his dad, you know, and and Carl talking about how there has to be another way. I started thinking, oh man, man, Carl, I, you know, something's going to happen. And I, I didn't really know if I thought he was going to die or not, but part of me did. And I was tense about it the whole time even knowing that there's going to be a shocking moment. So is it Negan killing Carl? Is it somebody else killing Carl? Is it Carl dying in some sort of heroic fashion? Ultimately what happened, I didn't really see coming and I was shocked by it. But the point is AMC didn't ruin the episode for me by telling me there was a shocking moment. And I'm a little bit surprised about that and I'm happy about it too. Good. So you're shocked, surprised, happy, and, and, Enjoyed? I'm shocked, surprised, happy, and shocked. <laughs> <laughs> shocked about being shocked. Yeah, that's right. It's kind of a meta shock. A little bit. Yeah. Well, good. No, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, uh, I actually enjoyed the whole episode. I really did. Me too. Um, I think there is a lot of negative reaction to this uh, in general, this whole episode. I think people are- well, the, the internet's been wrong before, right? Well, of course. Yeah, of course. But I think people are frustrated by the lack of information on how the saviors got out and some of those sorts of things. Um, but for me, I enjoyed this episode too. As I said, I was enthralled by it, kind of on the edge of my seat. And I think as a, as a mid-season family, I think it worked. And I don't even mind this cliffhanger essentially is what it is uh because there is no question in my mind that that there's any way for carl to survive so i don't even think of it like a cliffhanger i think of it as carl's dead but something is going to happen or he's going to be involved in something exciting before he actually expires once and for all yeah and the show still has some explaining to do they need to explain how the fuck they got out of that compound 
they do. And then there's some, st there's other things up in the air, like, you know, what's happening with Enid and Aaron and is Oceanside going to, to do anything? What's the relationship with the scavengers now? Because Rick took them there and everything was different. So he, they feel like they've been betrayed again, you know? Uh, so there's still some questions up in the air. They betrayed Rick. They don't feel, oh, they're so, okay. Oh, I, I hate them so much. Okay. Sorry. I mean, yeah, you know what I mean? But they just, they betrayed Rick last time. And now this time I think they feel like Rick didn't give them the right information. So they're just back to square one again. <laughs> well, if you expect everything to be exactly as you foresee, especially in a time of war, mm -hmm. then you're an idiot of the highest power. And she is like super idiot. Like I can't think of anybody stupider than Jadis. <laughs> and it's all because of the way she talks. It's because of the way she talks. It's because of her expectations. It's because of, uh, her choice of wardrobe when she's creating art. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just, she's dumb. Like, uh, how can she wouldn't be able to survive in this situation? It's just, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, anyway, anyways, there's still that to figure out. I mean, what's going to happen with them, the Oceanside stuff and the Carl stuff. So, uh, is she the stormtroopers? Like, is that what, what she is? Because that they run at the first sign of, uh, look at Han Solo. He chased a whole bunch of them. They're like, oh my God, Han Solo. And they all ran away. <laughs> yes, right? they did. So maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe they're, they're, you know, they're stormtroopers maybe maybe well or at least they have the stormtrooper attitude yeah the dumb ones from the first you know the first bunch of movies not the not the reimagined you know when star wars comes back that stormtroopers are a little smarter now they're a little we actually had you know a hero stormtrooper which is crazy they're not really reimagined they're just sort of the evolution of stormtroopers well yeah okay but they're not clones anymore uh no no that's right but they're specially uh, bred can to be stormtroopers conditioned. Yeah, they're specially conditioned, but they're not clones. They're like, you know, uh, it's like what uh, Rick and everybody did with that baby. Uh, there's a baby. Let's take the baby and uh, raise the baby to be what we want the baby to be instead of what they want the baby to be. And, mold. And, you know, the case of Star Wars, we want the baby to be a stormtrooper. Mold it into what we want it to be. That's what I do with freelance programmers we hire. I try to mold them into something that I can work with. <laughs> yeah, some kind of, you know, automaton slave that does what you want if you're listening freelance programmers uh that's not what we do and uh <laughs> <laughs> we respect what you do and uh generally you do good work doing great work yeah that's right yeah keep it up um so anyways back to this episode i thought it was pretty solid i must admit i was i enjoyed it i am not ready to quit the show like i've heard from a few people um but oh really pretty good yeah so um, here's, here's the thing, everybody it's, it's late and this was a 90 minute episode. So we've already been podcasting for quite a long time tonight. And that means that we are going to, for the first time or one of the first times ever, we're going to skip Holy crap this week, but not entirely. What we're going to do is come back next week with a, probably a double episode of feedback for you, because I know we've already gotten a lot for this episode, which I haven't gone through yet, but in the next uh, week or so, we are going to get lots more, I am sure. And just so we don't uh, go all night tonight, uh, we're going to come back and do a big double feedback episode uh, later on in the week. 
Uh, I say later on in the week because the other thing here is I'm afraid I have to travel for work later this week and I'm going to be gone from Thursday until Monday. And miss Star Wars. And, well, miss my original Star Wars uh, ticket time. But I'm going to be in Vancouver, British Columbia for the weekend. And the first thing I am doing when we get off the plane there is dropping my bags off at the hotel and going straight to a movie theater to see Star Wars on Thursday night. I'm surprised you're dropping the bags off, frankly. Well, I don't have to. If we're late, I could just leave them in the car because we got a rental car. Well, you can do that. So we or might... you can bring them in the theater. When they ask for the luggage for you, say snacks. <laughs> and they'll say, <laughs> I'm afraid, sir, you're going to have to leave. <laughs> uh, anyways, so I will be seeing Star Wars, but I'm afraid I have to travel for work. It means I can't record on Thursday to do feedback with you, Jason. So we're going to give it a little bit of extra time. And as soon as we can... After that, we're going to get together, record feedback. So send it all in. We'll do a big double mid-season finale, super-sized podcast full of feedback. And uh, that'll be, be like awesome. a, a double stuff Oreo and super-sized fries all mixed into one gross meal. And it's going to be amazing, right? Yeah, topped with, with, with whipped cream. Well, double-sized fries, good. Double stuff Oreo, good. Put those together with whipped cream. I'm not so sure, but we're going to make it good. Come on, man. It all goes down the same gullet. Who cares? <laughs> it, all, it all ends up in the same place anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the plan from here on in. So I hope no one's too disappointed about that. But by all means, send your feedback in so we can read it, enjoy it, and put it on the podcast uh, as soon as possible. But, so I just want to be clear about something yeah. before you move on. When you said uh, earlier, we're going to cut the episode off because uh, we don't want to go all night. I, I can go all night. Well, I, I know. I just want to say that. Just I'll, I just wanted to say that, you know, it is possible. I, I know you can go we're all gonna, night. We're not going to, but I could go all night. I know you can. I know you can, but uh, we need to, we need to end it at some point. And yeah, no, that's right. I just, you know, you know, I just wanted to say that. All right. So it's not, it's not Jason, everyone. It's me. It's not him. Yeah, it's okay. me. All right. <laughs> I'm the one who's too old to go all night. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, so that, that's that. Um, but anyways, uh, I liked the episode and I'm looking forward to hearing more from everyone and, uh, and getting it on the air. So as am I, as do I enough rambling, let's wrap things up there. So speaking of feedback, everyone, you can email us talking dead podcast at gmail.com visit our website click on send voicemail to send us audio messages that is an amazing way to do it or just record your messages into your phone and email them straight to us that usually sounds the best you can also find us on twitter at talking dead or on facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead and uh, i think those are the best ways to contact us so that was fun we're going to wrap it up right now until next time everyone my name is chris my name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.